Good evening, glad you're here. We're going to go ahead and get started. I'm going to see how Baptist you are. Uh, it is actually a lot cooler on the front half of the auditorium tonight. Uh, they'll tell you that, but we'll see if you're just so Baptist you have to stay back there. Uh, let's start with a word of prayer tonight. Dear Father, we come, we're thankful for today, we're thankful for uh, a gracious Savior, we're thankful for a hope that stands, we're thankful for peace that endures, we're thankful for a church that you've blessed us with, we're thankful for the Word of God that's living and active, that, that speaks to us, uh, that will speak to us tonight. I, I pray, Lord, as we study your Word, as we endeavor into your Word, that you would guide us, that you would grow us, that you would build us, that you would shape us, and it wouldn't just be uh, an hour to come and, and to sit and to take in information, but we would be uh, supernaturally instructed, convicted, led, uh, and blessed in your service as we carry your name. I pray uh, for our kids' classes tonight, Lord, I, I come and, and you know the seriousness of, of a foundation laid. You know the things that our kids see and are, and are facing, and I, so I pray for a foundation of truth uh, to be built upon tonight, to be stacked tonight. Uh, to be laid tonight, and I pray that you're known through that. I pray for our youth, uh, the exact same thing. So many, so many things that would lead them astray, uh, so many attacks on the truth. I pray that tonight, in, in the hearing and the teaching of your word, that they are built up, that they are equipped. I pray for other adult classes as well. I pray for our church as we uh, meet on Wednesdays, as we go out on Mondays, as we assemble to praise and to worship you and to hear from your truth in the book of Revelation on Sundays. I pray, Lord, that you would draw us, uh, that you would, you would bring us to hear and to participate and to serve. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you'd be, you'd be glorified and known through the, the ministry and the work of your church. And then I pray tonight again in this hour, in this place, and in those that are listening in another way, that uh, you would speak and that we would be blessed in the hearing of your word. I pray all this in Christ's name, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we have moved into the New Testament. We went, I believe, 56 or so weeks uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, the survey uh, really just leading us to the place that we are tonight. Uh, we've talked about that this is not two separate studies. It's not two separate books, but it's one movement uh, from Genesis to Revelation telling us the story of Christ, uh, what it means to be saved in and through Christ. And so we really have one work. Uh, broken up into these, these different sections. Uh, last week we, we, we looked at an introduction to the New Testament and really it was just laying the groundwork for the study that will come uh, the, the next 50-something weeks moving through the New Testament. Uh, tonight we're going to look at an introduction to the Gospels. And so we had an introduction to the big section of the New Testament. Uh, we're excited for the things we're going to see there now. Uh, we've moved to looking at these four specific books at the start of our New Testament, Introduction to the Gospels. This is our 58th lesson. All right, uh, we're going to look at several verses in several places tonight. Our key point tonight is this. Knowing and understanding the person of Jesus is the single most important part of the Christian faith. That is a huge understatement. If you want to know what it is uh, to be a Christian, to be saved by God's grace by faith in Jesus, we have to know who the person of Jesus is. We have to know who he is as the Savior, as the Messiah. We have to know who he is as the Lamb of God, uh, as the Savior. Uh, and so all of these pieces fit together. It's all about knowing the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, God in his great grace and his wisdom 
begins the New Testament with four records or accounts of the life and work of Jesus. So you go through the Old Testament, a Savior, the Messiah, is promised. Uh, it is told to us. The, the sense of expectation is set. Uh, the failing of the law to save us, we're not able to keep the law as evident. It is a tutor to lead us to look for Jesus. And so now we move into the New Testament. We start in the Gospels, and we have the accounts of the life and the work of Jesus. First point is this. There is good news. There is good news. And I think this is a, an awesome thing. It's a, it's a thing we need to understand. Uh, as the Old Testament comes to a close, the world is really waiting for its Savior. Some of them are actively waiting. Uh, some of them are holding dearly to the promises that a Savior is come, coming. Some are just living their life uh, with a remembrance that the Savior would come. Uh, God had promised the, the Messiah, uh, which would be His remedy for the problem of sin. We can't, we can't produce a remedy. God Himself is going to send our remedy. And so He had made it clear, uh, there is a Messiah coming. He is the hope uh, of mankind. The answer is not going to be found in religious practice, not going to be found in the law. And so we, we end the Old Testament uh, really with this, this looking forward to the coming of Christ. Uh, as the New Testament opens, uh, the fulfillment of all of that is presented in the coming of Jesus. And so, hey, there's a Messiah coming. There, there is a hope for sinful people. Uh, the plan that starts all the way in Genesis we see fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. He's the answer. He's the one whom all of our hope hinges. Uh, I want you to think about this. This is in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Do not be afraid. Here we go, the opening of the Gospels. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. That's on a whole bunch of Christmas cards. Really, that's the breaking in uh, of our Gospels. Uh, uh, good news, great joy. In the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. God's record of the coming of Jesus, uh, his life, how he's born, what he does, what he teaches, his work of salvation, uh, these are the things that are recorded for us in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we have the promise, we have the coming of Jesus, we have the, the life of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, and then most importantly, the work of uh, as the Lamb of God, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. These are recorded for us in the gospel accounts. Uh, these four accounts tell us two main things, who Jesus is and how we should respond to him. All right, so what are we going to find in these four gospel accounts? We're going to find who Jesus is, and we're going to find how we should respond to him. The word gospel uh, itself, and that's, that's what I, I like about this section. Uh, it comes from an English word that means a good tale or good story. Uh, it is based on the Greek word uh, that literally translates good news. And so I think it's very important, very profound, also very awesome. God himself says, this is the good news. You think there's no good news? You need good news? This is the good news. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the good news reported to us by Matthew, by, by Luke. This is the good news. Now, what I think is awesome about that is they, that's the word that God chooses. He chooses the word gospel. 
He could have said the historical account of the birth of Jesus the Nazarene. He could have said the facts and dates that pertain to us as the Lamb of God come to save sinners. He says the good news. And so these accounts, they're the good news. You need good news, here's the good news. The story of Jesus is the good news. That's an awesome thing, all right? So we move to the first four books of the New Testament. They are the accounts of the life, the times, the teaching, and the work of Jesus. And that story is our good news. In him, uh, we're going to find peace with God. We're going to find salvation. Uh, The good news is told to us in in the life and the work and the ministry of Jesus, our Savior. All right, so that's an introduction. Uh, We've we've passed through the time telling us of the coming of Christ. Now we come to the time uh, that that reports to us of Jesus, uh, who has now come, and we're going to study those pieces that make up our good news. What is the purpose of the Gospels? That's the next section. What is the purpose of the Gospels? Um, This is pretty interesting. Why do we have the Gospels? Why does God say, well, let's record this and make sure uh, they have the Gospel accounts? Now, uh, we're going to talk about the specific ones as we move through, but the big big thing that's happening is um, the witnesses to the coming of Christ are beginning to die. And so, hey, I knew Jesus. Hey, I knew a guy who knew Jesus. Hey, I knew a guy who knew John. Hey, I knew a guy who saw the resurrected Savior. Those people are starting to pass away. And so the people that knew uh, firsthand the account, they're beginning to pass away. In fact, the people that knew the people who knew the firsthand account, they are beginning to pass away. And so an interesting thing is starting to take place. The, the, the church is changing in that. We're losing uh, the eyewitness accounts. The, the apostles are getting older. Uh, the story is getting more distant from when it happened. And so it just makes sense. Uh, what happened? When did it happen? Who said it happened? How do we know it happened? Uh, these, these giant things, uh, truths about the gospel, need to be put into concrete, need to be written down. Uh, so, number one, we can be sure of it. Uh, somebody come along and say, well, Jesus was born here. And we'd say, well, no, that's not what the gospel account says. Well, Jesus uh, came out of, the, out of this line. We say, no, that's not the, what the, the Bible has recorded of him. So we need it in concrete, number one, so we can be sure of it. Second thing is this, so we can now spread it. We're now getting two, three, four generations from those uh, that actually saw it happen. And so I go to a town and I say, let me tell you about a Savior and I have the record, born here, born of a virgin, never sinned, Lamb of God. Uh, we have a record to present. The purpose of the Gospels, they're not like other historical accounts. Uh, you could go read a bunch of historical accounts. They're not like that. And they're really not biographies. Uh, biographies really serve the purpose of telling you the uh, biographical data of a person. Uh, these aren't for that reason, and they're really not like it, a, a biography for that reason. They actually serve a supernatural purpose. The Bible says we're saved by hearing the gospel. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And so uh, the gospels are written, they're recorded, that again, we would know who Jesus is, that we could have confidence in who Jesus is, and that we could respond to Christ in faith. And so, In these accounts, God gives us what we need to know of Jesus, that we would know who he is, 
that we can have the correct response to him. Now remember, God is patient. He's kind. He wants folks to be saved. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. And so he goes to great length once again that we would have the message that leads us to salvation. And so the, the Gospels serve to tell us who Jesus is and how we should respond to him. I, 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 I think about the, the nature of the Gospels. These aren't the exhaustive, complete accounts of Jesus. Every day of Jesus' life is not recorded in our Gospels. In fact, there are big gaps uh, that we find in his life. So this is not the, the complete, exhaustive story of Jesus, but it is exactly what we need to have to understand who Jesus is and put our faith in Jesus. Now, that's an interesting thing. This is the Word of God. God has dictated, inspired what we have in the Gospel accounts. And so what we do have is what God wants us to have. So, hey, we're missing some years here. Hey, we're missing some activities here. What we do have is what God wants us to have. So when I look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I'm reading, I'm holding, and I'm studying what God wants me to know about Jesus, his son. Now, that's a pretty astounding thing. When you read these accounts, you are looking at what God wants us to know about Jesus, his son. Everything we need to understand who he is and respond in faith is included in the Gospels. Now, let me say, can you be saved by just looking at the Gospels? I thought about this uh, for, for a little bit of time. I believe you can. Uh, I believe the Old Testament is going to explain who the Messiah is, why we need a Messiah. It's going to explain the sacrificial system, uh, what, what, what a lamb was needed for. Uh, but I believe there's enough in the Gospel accounts that are going to self-explain uh, the, the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, all of those things that we could be saved by looking at the gospel accounts. However, the picture that we're looking at uh, is it does greatly benefit when we understand Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. When we understand the Old Testament, it gives us the context for understanding the New Testament. However, in these accounts, we do have everything that God deems that we need to have to know who Jesus is and to respond in faith. Let me read John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. John says this, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Now he's talking about his own gospel. There's things that Jesus did that the disciples saw that John says they're not recorded in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I believe we find the purpose to the Gospels in that account. It's not everything about Jesus' life, but what we do have gives us enough knowledge of Christ that we could believe, respond in faith, and be saved. Right, let me ask you this, and this is just something to think about. Do you ever think about parts of Jesus' life that are not included in the Gospels? And I don't know, maybe that's goofy to think about, but just this afternoon I was thinking about, there's things that I would like to look into, or things that I would like to see, and, and, and parts that aren't recorded. What about Jesus when he was four? Did he ever pitch a fit? Uh, 
when he, I don't know, did, did, what about when he was nine and he's playing ball with his brothers in the front yard? Does he ever say, I, that's my ball, or I'm taking my ball, and I'm going over here? Or does he say, thus saith the Lord, the ball is all of ours and we're going to share it in the front yard? Uh, I don't know, I don't know, what, what did he do? What did he do when he was nine? What did he do when he was, when he was 11? Um, how did he treat his brothers? How did, how did he always uh, treat his parents? Did he, did he sit and laugh outside? Did he tell jokes? A lot of things we don't know. I, I was thinking about this today. Uh, it's very weird. When he was 16, did Jesus ever say, that girl's pretty cute over there? Did he, did he say, well, I'm never marrying and, and, and I don't have time for that. I'm on a bigger mission. Or did he say it every way he was tempted as every man and say, hey, that girl over there is kind of cute. I don't know. And so there's a whole lot of stuff we don't know. A whole lot of things not recorded. Maybe weird to think about those things. Other miracles, and I think that's what John's talking about. Other miracles. What other things did he do? And then the question becomes, why do you think these things are not included? And I start thinking, well, number one, John says we couldn't write them all down. Uh, We probably would run out of, of effort to read them. But I think the main thing is this. We have what we need to have. And if the goal is that we would know who Christ is, put our faith in him and receive him uh, be, receive salvation by faith in him, we have what we need to know. And so again, how awesome to go. We have what we need to know. What we are going to read and study is what God wants us to have. All right, next we go to uh, the, the individual divisions of the gospel. The stories of Jesus. I think it's interesting that um, each of these are different uh, and have similarities. Each of these serve purposes that some of the others did serve and some of the others did not serve. Each of these serve reasons uh, that probably the other ones did not not match or or also serve. And so these are individual accounts of the life, the time, the teaching, the work of Jesus. These are the stories of the story. And that's, that's pretty profound. There is one story, and that's Jesus, but these are the stories of the story. There is a word called the synoptic gospels, the word synoptic, the synoptic gospels. I had never heard that word until I was in my 30s, and I went to school. Uh, three of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll notice are very similar in form and in function. If you look at Mark and you lay it out and look at Matthew, you go, well, uh, it kind of has the same form. It kind of has the same flow. It's, a, it's headed in the same direction. You look at Luke with them. It has the same form. It has the same function. A lot of times you'll see an event that's told in two of them or three of them. And so you go, hey, that's the same event. We've already heard it once. Why are we hearing it again? And so it's very similar in form. It's similar in function. There's stories that are repeated. Um, These three gospel accounts were written together somewhat Uh, closely in a time period. I think they're about 10 years apart as they're recorded, but really it's not a large spread of time. It's a pretty close time period. For that reason, they are called by some people the synoptic gospels. The word synoptic means an overview. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, they are an overview of the life of Jesus. They're an overview of his ministry. They're an overview of the important pieces. So when you look at these three, you go, they're very similar. 
Uh, they have, it looks like the same form, the same function. They repeat some of the same stories, and, and there is an overview that's taking place. So that's the synoptic gospels. Now, I'm going to give you kind of a, an introduction to, to those three. Now, the first one is Mark. Um, it is an interesting thing. Mark is probably the first gospel written. Uh, we might say, well, Matthew's first in our New Testament. Mark is actually most likely the first gospel account that is written. Uh, it's, it's AD 66 to 70, somewhere in there it is written. Again, uh, think about this. There is no written record. And so it could be very easily distorted, changed, or added to the story of Jesus. And so uh, first off, Mark says, we better get this into writing. Inspired by God, this is the first account. Uh, its author is Mark. Uh, he is sometimes referred to as John Mark. Uh, he was a companion of Paul and Barnabas. Uh, that's going to be important in, in the account that he writes. He travels with Paul and Barnabas. He's a companion of Paul and Barnabas. Um, it is, his audience is mostly Gentile and non-Jews. Um, so he writes this gospel. He has traveled with, with Paul and Barnabas. He writes it mostly to Gentiles, non-Jewish people, and, and those that are not out of the, the Hebrew nation, the Hebrew set. Um, it served to tell the story of Jesus to new Roman believers. Uh, believers, folks are, are hearing the story of Christ. They're responding to Christ. And a bunch of these are not Jewish folks. They're Roman converts. They're Gentile converts. And so he wants them to have an understanding who Jesus is. He wants to explain it to them. And so his audience is mostly Gentile, uh, new Roman converts. And he explains to them in his gospel uh, Jesus as the Messiah and Jesus as the Son of God. Now, I think we can kind of understand what he's doing. Um, if we go out today and say, Jesus is the Messiah, we might say, amen. Hey, that's on our Christmas cards. But if I were to say, well, what is the Messiah? I think a whole lot of folks would say, I don't know what the Messiah is. I, it's a religious word. I, I'm glad he is that, but I don't know what it is. If we say Jesus is the Son of God, it's important that for, for our understanding to be saved that Jesus is the Son of God. They may say, well, who is God? How do we know there's a God? The Son of God? What does that mean? And, and so they didn't understand the main idea of the Messiah. They didn't understand the main idea of the Son of God. I think very similar to our world today. And so Mark says, we better explain what the Messiah is. We better explain why Jesus is the Messiah. We better explain that he's the Son of God and why that's important. And so a strange concept to these people, a Jew would have said, oh, I understand the Messiah. We've been looking for him for years. Would have been easy for them. But a non-Jew would say, hey, I don't know what you're talking about. You're talking a bunch of crazy words. So he sets out to explain the Messiah, Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, why that's important, and how that relates to them. So written to non-Jews to explain the Messiah, to explain the Son of God. If you read Mark's account, it's kind of interesting. Um, he doesn't mess around, and it's very action-oriented. If you go look at just just scan through it, it says, and they went here, and we went here, and they did that, and we did this. And it's, it's the shortest, really, of the accounts. 
And I think he is in a hurry to get it down, in a hurry to have something to hold, and he just wants the information known. And so he says, and this happened, and that happened, and we went here, and it went like this, and he's, he's very succinct in how he reports it. All right, so that's the first one written. Mark, that's his audience. That's why he writes it. That's what occurs in it. As you read it, you'll start to see. Well, now I see why he's taking so much time to explain some of these ideas. All right, Matthew is most likely the second gospel account written. I think that's interesting. We're going to talk about some of that. Uh, most likely, Matthew writes the second account. Um, it was written about 10, maybe 15 years after Mark. I think about 10 years. Uh, so Mark is the record. They're using Mark as the record. If it's being shared around, that is the gospel account they have. Matthew comes along, and he decides, well, the Jews need to understand why the fulfillment of all of these things happened in Christ, happened in the person of Jesus. So Matthew is one of the 12 original disciples. He was a tax collector prior to his following Jesus. Uh, it is written to a Jewish audience. Uh, it goes into greater detail than Mark. You'll see a lot of the same accounts, but where Mark may say it in four verses, Matthew's going to say it in eight verses and add more detail to it. Why is that? Because the Jews would have known the Messiah. They would have known the Son of God. And so he's going to be able to say, here are the reasons. Here's how it matches. Here's where Old Testament prophecy is fulfilled. And so in Matthew, you're going to see, hey, this checklist from the Old Testament, it's answered in this. It's answered in his birth in Bethlehem. It's answered in his birth in, to a virgin. And so he's going to start to tie it together for uh, the Jewish people. It goes into a lot of detail. Here's something I think is interesting and kind of odd. If you put Mark by Matthew and look at the two, it seems pretty sure that Matthew had Mark's gospel when he wrote his. And that's kind of odd to think. Today we say, that's plagiarism. <laughs> what, what was Matthew up to? Um, well, it just makes sense. If this is the account, and, and my, this guy's written the account, you would say, well, here, I need to go explain this in greater detail. Well, the Jewish people may need a better explanation of this. And so there's times that you can actually find a sentence that's verbatim, and you're like, well, Dad, go. Matthew had Mark when he wrote his gospel account. I think that's an interesting thing. Matthew makes the case to the Jewish audience, Jesus undoubtedly is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. He's making this claim. Do not miss Jesus, the Nazarene, is the answer to the Old Testament prophecy. He's making that clear. So the first one's going to the Gentiles. second one's going to the Jews. Both of them serve different purposes. All right, Luke's gospel was most likely the third gospel written. It was written by Luke, who is also a close companion and traveling partner of Paul. Luke, when you read the book of Acts, it says, we, we, we. Uh, it's talking about Paul and Luke in that crowd. And so he travels with Paul. He talks to Paul. He's informed and instructed by Paul. Very interesting thing. Luke is a doctor a physician by trade. And so sometimes when you read his account, you see the scientific things um, show up. 
a more detailed explanation of the birth, of some other things. He is a scientist. He is a physician. He is a doctor. And so he explains illnesses, sicknesses, uh, things that a, a doctor might be interested in. Um, he also wrote with a mostly Gentile audience in mind. Um, his gospel was written about 10 years later than Matthew, it looks like. His, the, the later date of the writing, the greater attention to detail and the added descriptions, because he is a physician, um, I think tells us why it is so long. Now, the Gospel of Luke is actually the longest book in the New Testament. So, wouldn't it make sense? The first one's the shortest. second one's a little bit longer. The third one is the longest. He's going, hey, good job, but you forgot to tell him about that. Hey, good job, but our audience needs to know about this. Good job, but let me give you three more things that support this thing. So there's more information, there's more detail, and it results in the longest book in the New Testament. Um, it is an interesting thing that Luke wrote a follow-up to his gospel account, and that is the book of Acts. So these other guys, they write this account. Uh, Luke comes along, and, and you may say, well, what happened then? And so he writes the book of Acts. The church starts, here's where the gospel goes, and here's what happens next. So he writes a follow-up book to the gospel of Luke in the book of Acts. All right, so those are the synoptic gospels. Those gospels have the same form of an overview of the life of Christ. They serve the same purpose that you would understand Christ, be able to put your faith in them, but they do have different audiences, um, the Jews or the Gentiles. I, I look at that and I go, isn't it awesome God really does want all people to be saved? And he didn't write the Jewish gospel and let everybody else just drift. Or he doesn't write just the Gentiles and say, well, the Jews have already missed it. He wants all people to be saved. And he wants the record to be understandable by, by all people. And so he gives these three overview accounts. That brings us to the gospel of John. The gospel of John is not counted as one of the synoptic gospels. Um, it, it has several differences, pretty big differences uh, then the first three Gospels. And if you read it, you know, we, we went through it a, a year or so ago. It's not this marching through chronological facts. Go to Matthew, and it's like this, and then this, and then that. And we called the 12, and then we went here, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, John's not a moving through chronological facts. Uh, it's not really a survey of Jesus' life and work, but it addresses deeper issues deeper theological issues, um, deeper interpretations of the biological facts of Jesus' life. Um, now, I want to I explain that. The reason he writes, uh, he's the last gospel account written. It, is, it has been probably another 10 years, and so you're looking at 45 years out. Uh, John is the pastor of the church in Ephesus. He has, he has been a proponent, a preacher of the gospel, and he starts to see people saying, well, Jesus wasn't like that, but he's like this. Or Jesus didn't really do this, but he did that. And there starts to be distortions in the gospel. Well, um, he wasn't really a man. He appeared as a man, but he really was a spirit. Uh, that, that teaching starts to take hold. Well, it doesn't matter that, about these events, and, and, and so maybe a changing of that. So he starts to see there's a perversion 
of the truth and a perversion of the application of the truth. And so now he is an older guy, and he says, man, I better go back and tell him what this meant, and I better tell him who he was and, and how I, I, I can validate that. So here he comes. He is the apostle John. He is the close friend of Jesus. He was the witness to the ministry of Jesus. He was witness to the crucifixion of Jesus. He was witness to the resurrected Christ. If anybody knows, hey, this guy's going to know. And so when he sees false teachings coming in, he launches off and says, I'm going to set the record straight. I'm going to give an account of Jesus to, to correct these things that are being taught. One of his closer friends um, giving validity for that reason. I, I go and you look at the accounts. Now, those, these are historical accounts. He meets with Nicodemus, John chapter 3. We have John 3.16 out of that. Uh, these different events, but, but if you'll notice, there's a theological understanding explanation tied to the event. And so it is saying, yes, he is the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yes, he's responsible for all things. Yes, he is the Christ, the Savior. Um, but he's explaining what that means and why you can't deviate from it. One of my favorite Gospels is to go and just say, here's why it matters. And yes, who he is matters, and, and John lays that straight for us. Um, all right, so we have the introduction of the good news. We have that it is good news. God calls it that. We have the story of Jesus that we're going to need to understand that we can believe and be saved. We have the correction to any distortions, and we have those four, all those things in those four books. All right, does that make you wonder? Does that cause problems for you? Uh, what about contradictions? What about the, the fact that there are four Gospels? And I, I think we better talk about it so uh, we have answers if somebody were to bring this up. I have heard people say, and I've actually read people that wrote, this shows it was crafted by men because we have four accounts. The creator God would have just made one account. He's the creator God. He would just give us one concise account. He wouldn't need four viewpoints. He wouldn't need uh, John's correction. Uh, he would just put it in one. And so the fact that there's four shows that maybe there's an issue of credibility. Maybe this is man-made. Then they'll come along and say, well, if you notice the four accounts, there seems to be discrepancies in some of the accounts. And so they would say, in Matthew 5, it says, there is a sermon on the mount. But when you go to Luke, there is a sermon on the plain, which means a flat spot. And so you go, hold on a minute. We got a sermon on a mountain, and we got a sermon on a plain. Read them. They're the same sermon. And you go, well, there must be a problem here. One of them got it wrong. Can you trust the Bible? Maybe you can't. Let me just go ahead and answer that since I brought it up. That sermon preached by Jesus on the mountain, he probably preached a hundred times. And so the version, I think probably the first version is on the mount as he gathers the disciples up. But I think as he travels around, he probably preaches that a hundred more times. And so Luke said, I remember when we were on the plane and he preached it and he writes the same sermon, different location. I think, um, let me just keep going for a second. What about discrepancies? What about the need, these four accounts? Um, do these guys have different memories of the same account? And here's, here's my answer to all of that. God wants people to clearly, 
confidently, thoughtfully know who Jesus is. He doesn't want there to be uh, any question that they're going to know who Jesus is, that they can respond in faith. And because he wants us to know, and he so much wants us to know, I think it is then that he gives us the four accounts. He could have given us one account. I think he gives us the four accounts so we can match them, so we can line them up, so we can question them. When you say, well, Dad, Gum, if this is on a plane, I'm not going to believe in Jesus. Well, you start to have to go. Well, where did they go next? Why was he here? Why was there a plane? Um, you, you can just keep going piece by piece. The four versions give us the opportunity to investigate, to consider, to weigh. And I'll tell you this, when you do that, you won't come up and say, well, John just disagrees with them. You'll come up and say, this is the truth. And it's testified in four ways, four records, four accounts. And I think it adds validity to uh, the gospel record. I think, um, to me, it would be a shame to have just John. And it would be a shame to have just Matthew. And it'd be a shame to have the, the little information we have in Mark. But when you put all four of those together, it, to me it's like watching, it's kind of a dumb example you may have heard before, to watch a car wreck from all four corners of the intersection. You know what, I didn't see that car, but I saw that car. And that guy on that corner didn't see that car, but they saw that car. But when you put it together, the story's there, and it matches, and it stands up. And the four perspectives, I believe, add depth, and, and, and really confidence in the account. God wants us to know he goes to great lengths uh, that we would have the, the, the information to build a confident decision. So what about discrepancies? What about four records? What about issues that come by having four accounts? I think those make a stronger argument for the truth of Christ and the truth of our gospel. So I don't think that's a problem or an issue uh, I think the opposite is true, that it is a great blessing. Really, um, the depth of what is in these four books, I don't know that we ever master. I don't know that we ever get a handle on it. Um, I have preached, you know, this seven years through Luke, a uh, hundred days through John. Um, the other day I went back and started reading Matthew again. And every time you read it, you go, uh, Christ is more than I thought. His understanding is deeper than I thought, and this is, this is more than wonderful. Isn't that awesome? That's what God gives us in four accounts. All right, so we have the four Gospels. Next week, we're going to start moving on. All right, so what do the Gospels tell us? And we're going to move through starting the life of Christ. Glad you were here tonight. Pray that this starts laying a foundation that's going to give us really a depth and an excitement for our, our moving into the rest of the study. Glad you're here. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. Let's pray. During Father, we come, and I'm thankful uh, that you make this understandable for us, uh, that you made it understandable for them, uh, but that we can take those ancient words, but those ever true words, uh, the words of God, and we can understand who Jesus is. I, I pray, Lord, in this study, in the next week, in the next week, in the next week, um, that we have confidence in your truth, that we have a, a greater understanding of your gospel, our good news. And I pray if we don't know Christ, uh, that we would meet him in, in the, the pages of your word. And I pray if we do know Christ, that we would grow 
in our astonishment with your grace and your kindness and your power shown to us in the person of Jesus. Again, I come and I pray for our kids. I pray for our homes. I pray for our youth. I pray for our church. And I pray that you would bless it and that you would use it, that you'd be known through it. And I pray all this in Christ's name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Glad you're here. Thank you.